the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Well, hello, everyone. It's Wine Women Radio. I'm Marcia Maycumber here today at the panel in Sonoma, our uh, host location where we get to record the show. Uh, and it's actually a sunny January day, which is really nice to have. Um, we've got uh, our co-host, uh, Misty Rodebush kane will be popping in shortly. Uh, Lisa Adams-Walter is on assignment uh, today, so we won't have her with us, but uh, we have some really exciting guests with us today, Joe and Jose Diaz from Diaz Communications. Hey guys, how are you? Hi there. It's great to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming down. I know you guys come all the way from Geyserville, uh, which for those listening further afield is uh, northern Sonoma County, uh, but it is also smack in the middle of prime wine growing region. Matter of fact, you live like in the middle of a vineyard, right? You get a few rows of Petit Serrat and Grenache. Was that right, Joe? You know, I'd love to say Petit, but it's actually Sangiovese. Oh, Sangiovese. That's right. You did mention yeah. that. There's not a whole lot of that in this state, in the country either. Yeah. The land was, um, uh, was researched for mm-hmm. the best possible varieties that would go well on that mm-hmm. piece of property with its terroir. And those two came up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Mr. Ross, whose vineyards uh, were they were put in, right? So they're there now. Mm-hmm. Um, he found out it was Sangiovese and and Grenache, and there they are. And uh, you know, what did, what did you get out of them? A ton of grapes. <laughs> <laughs> are they what? Are, are they what some other folks would refer to as kind of an old mixed blacks planting that? It's a little of this and a little of that, and the, or is it row by row, it's, one and then it, the it, other? It's row by row. Okay. Yeah, there's two specific rows of okay. Sangiovese and two rows of Grenache. Well, exciting, exciting, good stuff that you get to uh, enjoy and, and watch directly in the season. I know because I see both of your photos throughout the season on Instagram and Facebook and the like, uh, as you watch as things progress in your, your vineyard there, so it's uh, kind of fun to see you know, where things are in development at your place. Uh, but by by profession, you're not winemakers. You're not necessarily, you know, you haven't dug into being great wine growers. That's, that's not your thing either. It's far more uh, the business of wine marketing and sales. Uh, and Diaz Communications has been around since, when, 2001? That is, is correct. That right? mm-hmm. That's right. right. So um, you're you're getting close to a two decade mark. You're not quite there yet, but you're getting right. close. Right. Um, pretty I, exciting. I hadn't figured that out yet. <laughs> well, you've got time. You've got time. Right. I just what I, what, yeah, I do, what I end up doing is writing primarily. Yeah. I'm a writer, um, and so as a, a writer and a PR pro. I can write for clients. Uh, that's that's the joy of what I do. Jose is everything else. <laughs> Jose is tech. He's photography. You're both photography. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, and you're both gardeners to a certain yes. degree. Not just the vines, but you both love to garden. I think, right? I'm mostly garden, and uh-huh. he's landscaping. Okay, they're right. But, there so you go. But it ta- you know one takes Got care it. of the other. You can't have a good looking garden if you don't have a, a walkway to it. You know? This is true. <laughs> yeah. A pile of mud doesn't do anybody any good. So it's uh, a, a, a big help there. Um, you, Joe, you've been in PR for at least 27 years. 
Yeah. Not to give anything yeah. away here. Yeah. But. Well, no, that's exactly, yeah. It's like, yeah, no. And I say, don't do that, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're not counting. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. But it's, but it is, um, I got here in 93 and began my career. Yeah. So. Uh, you been, you started in radio. You both started in radio. Yes. Jose was in radio first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, as a, I was his housewife. Uh, I was able to raise the children. <laughs> That's right. And be home all day, and I and, and take the kids everywhere right. they had to go. So that was fun. And now you have grandparent duty. Uh, yeah, now we have grandkids. But when I was doing all of that back then, I had time on my hands, and mm-hmm. so I was a Girl Scout leader. And then I took the kids to the applause. Yeah, thank you. Good for you. I was and a Girl I, Scout. I, yeah, somebody's got to do it. And I took the kids to um, to day camp mm-hmm. as a counselor. Because I had all my Girl Scouts, so mm-hmm. it's like yeah, I'm going to go do summer camp, right. and so we did it, and um, and I did it for a few years. The first year I did it as a counselor, and I was just happy having a group of like maybe five kids mm-hmm. to usher around the right. grounds, and not overwhelming yet, not at all. And then at the end of that season, uh, the person who was the director said, "How would you like the camp next year?" And I said, in what capacity? And she said, the director. I'm like, you did a great job. And she said, but I know you could do a great job. And so I took a camp that had 40 kids, and within two years I turned it into 250 people. Holy moly. So it, it, I took it to another place where it was safer. We didn't have to go in and clean up all of the glass that the kids, the teenagers used on that property, right? I found the Boy Scout camp, and they let us have it for two weeks out of the year. <laughs> and I brought in the Army Corps of Engineers, and they helped us put the tents up and put the put all the latrines, those glamorous latrines, and, and, and all of that. So I did that. And then coming out of that two years later, uh, three years later, um, Jose at the radio station said, we need somebody to take care of our public file. And I thought, my God, with all the paperwork that the Girl Scout Council put me through, <laughs> you know, it's gotta, this radio station thing has You're, to be a piece of cake. Right. So it can't be any harder. It can't be any harder than that. I had to cross every T, T. and dot every I, and I was told if anything happened to any children in that camp under my watch, and I didn't take care of everything, I would be... I would be financially oh responsible. So that and you're like, what happened? Well, what about insurance? Didn't they have insurance yeah, anyway? That's another story. Yeah, they didn't even discuss that oh. with me. So, uh, so I had an, an experience at the camp that was a little harrowing with a child whose parent didn't put down that she was asthmatic. And I'm looking up oh. at the sky and the black clouds are coming and my buses and everything I need is 15 miles away. So I booked it into town, got the buses to come out. In the meantime, I had a child have an attack oh. and it was not on her card. And they told me if I didn't dot every iron cross it. And I'm thinking, mm, um, we're going to get property on a lake and we're going to have our kids on the lake in the summertime so I don't have to go anywhere and I don't have to take care of everybody's 200 kids. So, yeah. so that became that. But going in and doing the public file, I arrived. I'm like, what do I do? Okay. Nobody had an answer. <laughs> Make it up as you go that's along, it, which is what it. women do, yeah, right, Joe? It is. <laughs> We're the multitaskers. So, <laughs> so off I went. It's like, all right. So I went to the Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. I joined Rotary. I did all of these things. And in that amount of time, I set up um, um, in one Rotary Club, I set up community gardens on both sides of a memorial bridge oh wow that was beautiful uh had had to do everything uh, except Uh dig the dirt and put the (laughs) (laughs) planet get there you go go to the go to the councils do it all did that 
and um, and then just started documenting it. Oh wow! And so for eleven years, I did. I documented. Mm-hmm. I did. I documented. And then when Jose said he wanted to move to California, I thought. I'm a little tired of the radio <laughs> PR. It was very exciting. Jose can give you some other exciting notes on it. It was very <laughs> exciting. But uh, I needed to start in the wine industry. And so I came out here not knowing anything about wine. <laughs> <laughs> but you plunge no, in, I, right? You know media people. I had no relationships, but I plunged in. And, and look, you've, grow, and you've grown are. this into a huge business. Yeah. Um, you know, for our listeners who don't know, Joe's just been on the the forefront of everything related to wine PR and marketing. Um, you know, for for darn near twenty years, mm-hmm. uh, in in different capacities, um, wine dash blog dot org. Uh, you started two thousand six ish five 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 at the end okay. of two thousand five. Okay. Um, I had ta- Jose and I were taking a business class together, and um, the, in that class, is the professor I cannot remember his name. Jose might. Um, he mentioned, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, Web two O is coming, and it would be interactive. And I couldn't imagine what that meant, mm-hmm. but it was the beginning of blogs. And as soon as Tom Wark started a blog, yeah. And I was a little, I had filled with a little trepid, not filled completely with trepidation, but I had some about how do I ride two horses with one behind? <laughs> how, do I, how do I PR these people but not make my blog look like it's just a commercial for our clients? Right. So and it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing to balance. It was very tricky. And Tom had said, I'm never doing that, which, of course, changed. Which made yours different. Yeah. Well, right. it changed him because when he started working for the distributors, mm-hmm. um, then he began to mention them. So he finally, he, mm-hmm. he asked me, how do you do it? And I told him, I just do it. You know, right. I can talk about my clients and I'm going to state that they're clients. I'm not going to profess to have it be anything else you know this is a client but you're not going to see this as a client on all these other things i'm going to be doing so yeah your blog your blog to this day remains uh quite a melange of topics around the wine industry Mm -hmm. i was really enjoying um reading today your various winter whites um reviews and commentary and your your description of the wines your descriptions of the terroir um, it was it was just really interesting, and you've got a whole series going on right now because I was so glad you say it said winter doesn't have to be just for reds and summer doesn't have to be just for whites because we all wear white shoes year round now and and so forth. And I drink whites in the winter just like you can drink rosés in the winter. It's not limited either. So I was really glad to see that you were focusing in on that. But other columns might be interviews with uh winemakers or producers um you know or something about we we haven't gotten into yet and we will in our second show about p.s i love you also known the long name petit sarah i love you um which is one of the organizations that you've founded uh to honor your favorite grape um, but sometimes you head in that direction so there's there's all kinds of fascinating topics so i love reading the variety that you have on your blog. Um, and I think you've got a really strong readership because of that. I said going into it that the blog was going to be my journal. 
it's not going to be just about this or just about that. I'm I, I'm ma- jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I feel like in my lifetime. So there's so many aspects of the wine industry that are interesting, that I really want to go with the flow. Whatever you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to write with passion. So it better have turned me on, or I'm not just going right. to be writing for the sake of fluff. I'm not going <laughs> to fill it in. I used to do every day, you know, and now it's I've got so many things going on that. <laughs> It might not be every day, but that right. that uh, I have to go back this afternoon and come up with number four mm-hmm. because it's it's coming up. But I've been faithful to it all week, first thing in the morning, getting up and writing it and making sure that I've done everything. That and I it should. keeps your it keeps your writing juices flowing well. I imagine to to just you know to go okay, all right. What am I going to say that that makes this section fresh? to me today and right. finding the vocabulary so something really important to a PR pro because you're you're writing and conveying messages all the time trying to find a new way to do that so I imagine it's a great vehicle to to keep that skill sharp it, it's it's wonderful uh, it's wonderful because in my process of doing all this writing mm-hmm. I'm learning this is how I've been. You know, I've had now almost 30 years of just learning about wine. Isn't that cool? I it never ends, does it? It never ends. Yeah. It's very exciting. Which is fun. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, uh, Jose, I have to ask you, uh, what, it, what did it feel like to you plunging into the wine industry? And as I recall, you, you built the blog site uh, yes. for, for Joe, right? Yes. So you were putting your tech skills to use. Um, to support what she was doing. Um, and, and it isn't, you know, wine-blog.org is not uh, technically a part of Diaz Communications, but you're kind of inseparable in all those parts uh, in- integrating together. W- what was it like for you kind of learning side-by-side uh, about the wine industry and and what and how you wanted to transition from radio into wine. Yeah, so it's really interesting because, as Joe mentioned earlier, when we came out to California, um, I came out in October of 92. The family mm-hmm. came out right after Christmas, so that's mm-hmm. why she effectively said as of 93. <laughs> um, she's, she's been out here. Um, and so I was in radio at the time. That radio mm-hmm. was what, what brought us uh, to California at the time. And um, so let's see, 92 through 96, I continued working in radio in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. And after 25 years in radio total, it became quite obvious that I had maxed it out to the max. I mean, it was, in fact, I almost uh, blame myself for my demise in the sense that with my tech skills, I pretty much had everything highly researched, highly automated, and highly boring. Um, <laughs> and so what's, what, you know, what, what else is out there? And when I first got into radio, I never envied uh, salespeople because you never knew how much you're going to make. You're on commission. Right. Um, I was in programming over the years, and, but I was always told in radio, well, if you want more money um, you know, you, and want to control your income, you know, you, you have, if you want more money as a programming person, it, it, it's up to the sales staff. And I had the confidence at that time when I left radio in 98 to control my income and to get into sales. And so what I did over the three year transition period before we started DS Communications was work in various sales jobs, mm-hmm. uh, some in San Francisco, some in Sonoma County. And um, it was truly a, a transition period because little did I know that near the end of 
that time period, Joe would be starting this company, mm-hmm. which I couldn't join full time um, until we had enough clients. Right. And it took two years for us to have enough clients. So as of 2003, I'd been full time, mm-hmm. where I was part time, you know, originally. Um, and and so part of that process, I did run a wine club at a, at a, at a winery. I mm-hmm. did. Um, manage uh, the taste room as well. And also when I was in that transition period, I call this my last real job. I worked for a company in Fountain Grove called the Wine Spectrum selling wine on the phone, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Learned a lot about non-American wines because previous right. to that, I kind of knew about American wines, but learned a lot about European wines, got to taste Bordeaux and, and Burgundies, etc. So the transition came for me in that, tra- in that period, you know, from radio to, to wine, when I was doing the sales thing, I, I got into selling wine, I got to be in the tasting room, and then we had our own company that started. And in terms of DS Communications, I, I, you know, I never remember which is left and right brain, which is the, which is the creative side. Uh, right. Right? Yes. Just try to remember L is logical. Left. Oh. Oh, okay. All right. So I'm left, she's right. <laughs> which which is actually a wonderful balance because, you know, she's a writer, she's a public relations person, media relations, um, has three-tier system experience, you know, oh, work, yeah. working nationally. Mm-hmm. So in our company, Joe really honestly works on a national level. And my expertise is actually a lot of the things I learned in radio in terms of research. We used to do a lot of research because you know a lot of money was on the line in terms of ratings and stuff like that. I use a lot of the principles that I learned back then today. Mm-hmm. We used to have things in radio called loyal listener clubs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, you know, we know what that is today in the wine business. They're wine clubs, yeah. okay? And and which are essentially loyalty clubs. That, that's right. Yeah. Really the same thing. And and you know the whole idea about, you know, personalizing the message to people uh, which has become the thing to do nowadays. But back then, we were very much into trying to learn as much about our listeners so that we can, you know, cater to them with the music that they wanted. Um, and, and it's really funny because Joe didn't mention this very much, but one of the things that she evolved to when we were in radio was going backstage and we would meet performers, a lot right. of rock stars in mm-hmm. the 80s and, and promotions and stuff like that. And it's interesting because I always say to myself, well, we used to deal with rock stars back then in radio, and now... <laughs> We have our own rock stars, and they're called winemakers. Yes. Because as we know in the industry, they are, they're the ones that carry the, the aura and the charm, and we've worked a lot with winemakers. And one of the things we do with winemakers as much as possible is, is explain to them how to handle themselves in a media environment. Right. Because I even saw this with musicians. I met so many musicians that got into the music industry to play music, not to be personable, not to market themselves. Sound familiar with some winemakers, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and they make great wine, but they don't necessarily want to interface and everybody wants to meet the winemaker, etc. So what I do is mostly direct to consumer stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, consulting uh, how to sell directly to the consumer, not through the three tiered system and all that that involves ranging from websites to email newsletters to uh, consulting on selling out uh, directly in, in the tasting room, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it's a nice balance that we have where, where Joe has her kind of artistic social side. I'm, I'm, I'm more like uh, big picture strategy, marketing plans, and, and technical support of all those goals that our clients may have. Right. So right. long and answer to your question. That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, that that's what, you know, uh, an, an audio uh, storytelling that we're doing right now is for. I was going to say, um, you know, for those listening, 
uh, that's one of your services is actually training your clients on how to deal with the media, how to deal with public speaking situations, because that's critical to being able to tell the story of, you know, your client story, whether or not that's a, you know, winery client or, you know, somebody who's, you know, got a, a supportive to the wine industry, but still trying to get the word out, you know, all of those things apply. And I was thinking how much that dovetailed so neatly with Joe's work because Joe is a storyteller. Right. That's your big thing. And a matter of fact, we should go over to our other storyteller here, Misty Rodebush Kane. Hello. Hello. Hello, our listeners. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, a, a great conversation going, and I've enjoyed listening. Well, and... thank you for being here today. Yes. So I know you've been racing from one thing to the next. You know, people think that uh, January's quiet season uh, for wineries, um, probably only it's quiet in the sense that it's a little quieter in the tasting room. But if you work in the industry, there's tons of stuff going on this month. It's crazy. Yeah, you? Yes. No, definitely. Planning is we're in full swing right now with um, just finalizing all of our plans and putting them into action for the the new year and like you said you know planning all of those marketing events and all of the (laughs) you know all of your PR road trips and working through with your winemakers Um, I just had some great visuals when you uh, mentioned you know entertaining all of the rock stars of the 80s backstage and then Mm -hmm. sort of thinking about you know the winemakers that you've worked with and you know seeing them and how they adapt and react in different situations and preparing them to really present their best and present the wines the best has got to be a really, really difficult challenge because everyone is so different. And I just had a question to see, you know, over the years, are there some really memorable experiences that you've had working with winemakers without naming names, of course, but... Um, or you could, if you yeah. really want to, you know... <laughs> just, just for our, our listeners, because I think that's always of interest. You know, uh, I've had... I've had some really fun experiences when I, and we'll talk later about P.S. I Love You, Petit mm-hmm. Sarah, but a lot of them come out of road trips that I did with those guys. I had uh, Concanon Vineyard was mm-hmm. really ready to support P.S. I Love You. Um, and so we took it on the road and they gave us a huge budget. There were two particular trips that were unbelievable in my humble opinion Mm -hmm. and that is we uh rented we rented um some very sophisticated um and i my my i'm not hearing from my headphones but that's okay i'll keep going how strange yeah i can keep going Yes, um, yep. keep going. Oh, there you go. There you All go. Right, little awesome. little Thank tiny you. connection Thank on the you. back there. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I had a more like weird in my headphones. So, yeah. Um, so Concanon gave us, as I said, a ton of money, and so uh, Patrick Henry, mm-hmm. not the old, not the pet, yes, not the old give me pet, liberty, give me death, <laughs> Patrick exactly. Henry, different we guy. Have, yeah, we have a new Patrick Henry who owns luxury trains, and so what they do, one is uh, a sleeper. Mm-hmm. And there were seven bedrooms. In the center, was called the queen bedroom. Mm-hmm. So it had it was a full bed, a full queen bed, and it had its own shower stall. Mm-hmm. And then opposite sides, going in either direction, had little rooms where you could in bunk beds, mm-hmm. you know, and you you had your own little bedroom too. So I knew I could have six winemakers on the road with me mm-hmm. and a writer in that middle one. Uh-huh. So we took a lo- we took an embedded writer with us which was which netted beautiful right. story coming out of that one. Cool. So we did that and the other car was 
um, a dining car. It had a kitchen, it had a dining room, and then it had this luxury living room type thing, and then you could go up the stairs to the dome oh, nice. where we'd go up and eat. So uh, we had a staff with us for for a week, right? Cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I'm getting the visuals so, on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, great, great, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. We actually did this for two different weeks on two different trips. I'll give you both of them. So... So, and then I had another thought that's pretty hysterical, but I'll wait with that one. So, yeah, we we went from Seattle to Portland, and we were supposed to keep going down to Los Angeles, but that's when there was a rock slide on oh. Route 1. Mm-hmm. So we had to have private jets fly people, right, mm-hmm. to get to the train in L.A. Right. to have that event. And then the other one was going from Fort Worth to St. Louis to Chicago. Okay. And so we went up the central part of America mm-hmm. in these beautiful trains. Wow. And so, you know, you could go sit in the back and you could watch the world slip away on the tracks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you didn't sure. have all that traffic. It's Right, because you're out in the middle of yeah, nowhere. You're out in the middle of nowhere where the trains originally were. So those, those were really fun to do. Right. Uh, what we would do is we would have people come in. We had invited media people and trade people mm-hmm. and so they would come in on one end of the train which was that busy car where it had the luxury room and the dining car up above and the and the and the dining mm-hmm. car okay and then our staff for cooking mm-hmm. and um so they would come in on one side and they would walk through and they would have to walk out the car where we were sleeping after they kind of saw what that was get off the train and <laughs> scoot around and come back again because <laughs> yeah, the limitation was you can only have 50 people on this car at a time right. we'd invited hundreds of people well. <laughs> <laughs> they were all there oh my and, goodness so you know when they would try to come back on again I'd be like please can you just let you mm-hmm. know get at the end of the line <laughs> oh my goodness so I had to police that one but that was fun and then we had this other thing another year where they gave us a bigger budget even than what it was thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand a week for mm-hmm. these trains, mm-hmm. right? So seventy thousand to start. The wow. other one they gave us like a three hundred thousand dollar budget, and we went all over the United States. Jose oh. sat in the background, background and set up every place that we would be going to, mm-hmm. and I'm busy getting the winemakers there. And so we did it in a motorhome with, mm-hmm. with Jim Concana <laughs> <laughs> and his wife. And I'm only giggling because there were historical moments. I actually wrote it. On, I wrote on my blog the historical mm-hmm. part of that trip. Mm-hmm. But then I also wrote the hysterical part of that trip. <laughs> the historical and the hysterical. hysterical. Okay. Hey, honest to God, the, the, the biggest hysterical for me was when we got on, in the motorhome. The first one we did, there was a, a rocking chair. It was on mm-hmm. a base, right? Mm-hmm. And when um, when Helen Concannon decided she really liked that chair, it moved, and I, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I called it Helen Wheels. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. And and she was okay with it. She's very prim and proper. But she, if Joe did it, it was okay. So at the end of this one <laughs> tour. Our driver was so sick of us. He was going going into a a U-shaped driveway for Mm -hmm. a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be his last... I mean, we had finally arrived. uh, (laughs) So he was really done. He was really done with it. So he took that corner. And when he did, Helen was on her Her chair. chair, And Helen wheeled. (laughs) (laughs) And she was headed for that little... 
that little mm-hmm. drop that you have Uh-oh. where you yeah where you go out the yeah. door yeah and oh so no i jumped to stop her from <laughs> going down and i'm like hell on wheels i'm gonna catch oh, man. so i mean there were there were so it's all not about being on the road and just selling this does that sound a lot like rock star oh, yeah. uh, oh, uh on road the road shows. road oh. shows oh yeah yeah and then yeah. For for listeners or winery owners out there, what would be three tips you would provide them with to guarantee that turnout for those events is, you know, that there is some nice turnout at those events? Because we invest so much money as wineries, you know, planning all of these nice, really fun media and PR events. But how, what tips would you give yeah. listeners? The first one would be do do what you think is the impossible. Because it will get done. Mm-hmm. There you, you go. Know? It's like who takes who takes RVs and runs across country and invites everybody to come taste your wine. Now, who does that? You know, in an RV. It's so fun. So it gives you that little extra mystery. That's like, what's mm-hmm. happening like being in an RV with those guys? That's one. Okay. So it would be the RVs, and the other is have somebody like Jose was just dedicated to finding spots that would be unusual not the usual and and would just have people love going so that was mm-hmm. the road trip i mean the train was getting on it and getting off that's right. unusual because they thought they were going to come and hang out on a train well how big is a train <laughs> <laughs> it's as big as however yeah, many cars you're yeah, dealing with yeah, at that time exactly so. and um you know if you've got a train and two cars and the capacity is 50 and, and he didn't tell us what the capacity was until we were on the train. And you were like, like, what? Yeah. And this, 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 so I had to play the bad cop. I really, you know, I was in PR and I had to be like, well, you just went up there. So now you go down there, you know, yeah. but you can't, now that you went down there, you can't yes. come back and go up because that's not the flow. So that was the right. challenge. I didn't know it would be that way ahead of time, but that was easy. And then um, I'm going to let Jose talk about a third what would you add to that? Because he's that marketing Well, person. you know, you were I, there. <laughs> I, can, I can only take off a little bit of something that you said. And it really has to do with, um, you know, media today has a lot of options. I mean, they're invited to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so Joe kind of talked about, about a little bit. But, you know, in the trip that she's talking about, one of the places that I booked was a zoo. <laughs> we, we had a reception at a zoo. And it's not every day that wine media gets invited to a zoo for an event so so there is that part about um you know the venue has to be above average different etc um you know it's kind of interesting but and this is a cliche it it really is all about relationships and so it doesn't start at the point that you invite someone to the event it it starts really at the first point that you have contact with a media person and the relationship that you develop so that they trust that whatever you invited them to is going to be worth it. One of the worst things you can do as a, as a wine media person, uh, media uh, or press, is to go somewhere and, and kind of be disappointed with the way it was sold. Mm-hmm. But if you have that trust with someone that you're inviting to an event, they feel like, okay, this person has never burned me in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Everything that they've asked me to is worth it. The wines have been good. The, the winemakers have been forthcoming and interesting. And so this is a very subtle thing that's really hard to pin down, but it is kind of why we think for what we do in our business, it's important to build those relationships and the trust and the integrity 
so that when we do invite people, they feel like, oh yeah, we know th that organization, they're gonna really provide us with an interesting situation. Um, so that's kind of subtle, but that's, that's one thing I would do. The other thing is after they've arrived is people in the press are hungry for information. So the more and different ways that you can provide that with, with the takeaways or the presentations, et cetera, the better. And I think that builds up trust and value for future things that you may in, invite people to. Um, you know, I, I guess those are the only things that come to mind right now. I mean, it's, you yeah, know, those are valuable. but they're really so crucial. Valuable. I was, you know, what popped in my head while you were saying that is, oh, you know, Jose's talking about the importance that never ends of building a reputation, keeping that reputation maintained very high, and maintaining everything uh, surrounding your integrity. Mm -hmm. Very crucial things. And, and it also made me think of the periodic um, blog posts that you have, Joe, that we all see sometimes when we're, you know, following a post, we, you know, the participating in a thread on um, Facebook or something, where we've been spammed by usually a very young person entering the industry and they've sent out something very generic. It's not necessarily appropriate to us or your business. Um, and often, and it, and it's a, it's damaging that person's reputation for sending it out in the first place for not doing their research, but then it gets compounded by oftentimes, um, you know, be, being very poorly written. Um, so then you, you get into mistakes of grammar, messaging, punctuation, all these things add up to making a very bad impression about that person and by association, the business that they're representing. So everything you just talked about, Jose, is, is right on top of this, this yeah. issue. Let me add one thing that's interesting for Joe because she's kind of a hybrid. Um, she's a public relations person. But she's also a blogger, so she's on both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. you know. So what happens in terms of what you were just saying, Marsha, um, she gets those pitches, you see. So, so she's learning all the time, you know, what the climate is out there for these younger folks and what they're trying to do. And sometimes and not younger. Sometimes it's just people who've done an industry change and, you know, they're, they're new to <laughs> And they don't realize. The right. Yes, or they don't really understand the idiosyncrasies of what exactly they're presenting and who's going to be there. You know, what level? Is it winemaker? Is it owners? Is it just a general right. event? Yeah, and it is fascinating because quite often she'll come to me and she'll say, look at this. Can, can you believe what I just got as a media person? <laughs> which, which, is, which is nice to see because she is a media person and it keeps her on top of like, okay, check that off the list of not to do, you know? That, right. So. Yeah, right. The vetting, the vetting process, mm -hmm. I feel, is so important. Not only, you know, when you're looking at events to attend and what's going to be worthy of your time, but also on the, on the opposite side, when you're, when you're looking at what type of a PR event you're pulling together, you know, really vetting who you're inviting and making sure mm -hmm. it's relevant to that audience mm -hmm. is so important. I have one thing. I have, I have this, this point that, that I have become frustrated with, and yet I used to do it. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we're yeah. going to peek behind the curtain mm -hmm. now. Yeah. yeah, we're going behind the curtain. <laughs> and it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I used to do it when we would have new releases. I would mm -hmm. be happy to put a letter out to tell everybody about this new release. Uh -huh. doesn't do a writer any good to know you. <laughs> Seriously, I'm really sorry, winemakers, 
but it does no good to put that information out about how fabulous your wines are if you don't let them taste it. Right. So on that query, when you're saying, would you, you know, look at my wonderful wine. Would you like wine, a sample? Yeah, if you use that <laughs> hashtag sample. <laughs> because I am not going to put my reputation on the line for something I haven't tasted. Right. I'm not going to say this is like so muy fabuloso. I can't do that. You can't even, you don't even have the words to describe what you've, that's you know. Right. I don't. Yeah, I, you know, so, so yeah, they put out this, what am I going to do with that information? Absolutely nothing. So if you're going to go to a writer and you want to tell them about your fabulous wine, go for it. Second real sticking point is, bless your hearts, I don't care if you got a gold medal. Right. Uh, there's nothing I can do with that. Right. So you put out that you've got a gold medal, and any writer that gets this, I know because I'm on the inside, mm -hmm. any writer who gets this is simply annoyed by it. They're not going to read it. They're not going to study it's it. It's consumer information, yeah. but it's not PR information. That's right. What about reviews? What do you want to say about, um, you know, reviews from Spectator, Advocate, um, New York Times... Right. Okay. So Esther Mobley. Uh, yeah. 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 The, uh, um, when I first started out, I knew I was riding, riding that horse, mm -hmm. <laughs> two horses with yeah. one behind. So I had to be really, really careful. But I went out on a limb, even so. And that was, it was one of my very first stories. And it was, everybody's got a palate. Mm -hmm. And now everybody talks about that. So that's good. Mm -hmm. I dared to do it. And the reason I dared to do it was because there were reviewers way back when that would tell me a score. And so that meant I was supposed to like it. And then I would taste it, but I didn't like it. And I have figured out I have what's called a super palate, which means mm -hmm. I, I, I have too. more. You do too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. More taste buds than we need. So we get hit with a primary Mm -hmm. flavor initially we're not going to start breaking it people go like oh i can taste you know and then name and name and name and name no i taste it and then i have to sit with it and i have to think about it i've been asked to, to concentrate be a, yeah, yeah concentrate and i was asked to be a judge and i turned that down because i would be so behind everybody else because I had seen a judging, and they mm -hmm. just move so swiftly, and I can't move that swiftly in what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I'm so indecisive. I'll go back and <laughs> forth between what right. it takes, and then, you know, because yeah. I always try to do in preference of what I'm tasting first, and second, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, but wait, did that did that Marciano cherry come in first? Or <laughs> right, right. You know, right. it's tricky. Yeah, yeah and I would take too much time as well. Yeah. It's so interesting, your, your take on that. I recently was at a tasting... Um, with uh, a few high-end collectors. And it was interesting to hear, you know, I, I wasn't really chiming in on the conversation. It was, it was like getting to be a fly on the wall, which was useful to find out people who have deep pockets who collect, they do rely heavily upon reviews and scores. Not so much the medals. Mm -hmm. um, and they often make buying decisions based upon what they read between the score and, you know, even a two-line review in one of the leading review magazines or, or online publications. Um, but it's usually as a result of what I used to consider the Siskel and Ebert factor. You, once you've figured out which reviewer has a palette similar to yours, or at least you know how yours differs from XYZ reviewer, 
then you can tell whether or not you might like the wine from what that person says. Exactly. Yeah. And I just, in one of these winter white stories, I finally brought it back around to you, you're trusting other people's mm -hmm. scores. If you find somebody whose palate is close to yours, you've just found a consultant. Right. Right, yeah. which is, goes right back to right. what you've just said. But it took me all that time of saying, "Will you just please go out and taste for yourself? You know, <laughs> do you like it? Do you don't like it? You know, go out and figure it out." Right. But you know, I there were, as I say, reviewers back then when I would taste the wines they they really liked, and I would taste it, and it would be too big for me. Right. That wasn't the consultant I needed. Yeah. But I have found many now that I that have the same palate that I have. There you so go. that's nice. So you, that's you, you know, things have really changed um, in the time that we've been doing what we do. Um, you don't have the monolithic structure for influence as you used to. That's right. Uh, with the internet. Social media changed it, it all. It's really, yeah, you're, you're right. It's really become um, literally a peer review process mm -hmm. by which people make decisions. And so in, in terms of what I do, um, I, I try and drum up peer activity for a brand mm -hmm. so that the target audience that they're going for sees it not from these monolithic sources that we're used to seeing, you know, right. the spectator enthusiasts, et cetera, but people are more likely if they are comfortable with what their friends are pitching to, to make exactly. that jump. And, and so I think we all have to understand that more than ever um, because maybe for the collectors, you know, that minority, but the average person in the street nowadays is less likely to make a decision mm -hmm. based on a, a magazine that's established versus what they see their friends and their circle going for. And, and that's, that's, I mean, the internet has really made a big difference in that area. Yeah. Like yeah. it really goes back to that whole tribal concept. I mean, mm -hmm. we really want this individualized palette and this individualized, you know, ability to come up with our own opinions and our own formulations of how a specific wine tastes. But then we love to rely on that tribal influence of a group that we associate with or that we assimilate with and then take the reviews from, you know, peers in that group or whatnot. And I, I mean, I always give that advice like you recommended, like if, cause people are always like, Oh geez, what does this rating mean to me? And is this important? Well, no, it's not important. But if you see that it's rated really highly and you also like the wines, I always encourage people to go out and, you know, seek other wines that have been reviewed by that critic because there's a, a good chance that they might really gravitate towards some of those wines. Or if you see a review that's the opposite, which is actually the easiest for me to do, I'm always like, oh, okay. I know when I see someone that's reviewed this wine, like I know I might have an opposite um, you reaction. Know, reaction and yeah. an opposite preference right. from what they've right. displayed. It's just like in the old days where you go, when Cisco liked one movie and Ebert didn't like it, you, you either knew which one of the two you aligned with so whether or not you would like that mm -hmm. movie and it's the same thing in the wine business but now it seems like there's so much shifting in terms of figuring out your tribe and how to pull it in we're, we're all facing this challenge of how do we reach the millennials and point of fact um to back up for a second to some current wine industry news there's a few things out there um that i noticed this week in wine industry news that are are kind of interesting one is this um, long-term look at um, what might happen, whether or not these tariffs uh, are imposed 
uh, on European wines, specifically French wines, but they're not the only ones. And it's not just wine. It's going to be cheese. It's it's a luxury tariff. It's going to be handbags, putting a kibosh on those Kelly bags. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because I know I just have to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the tariffs have got... Uh, uh, the people who are distributors and importers are rightfully concerned because that's going to um, affect pricing. And uh, we also know that right now there's an oversupply. So that's also in the news right now is um, contracts, grower contracts are being uh, canceled or reduced um, due to the fact that su- supply is high right now and demand is, we don't want to say it's diminishing, but it's not growing either. Uh, and, and we've seen, I think just today, there was some more talk about, okay, millennials are going to alternatives from wine. They're going to White Claw uh, and other, other alcoholic beverages, uh, ciders, uh, even mead and things like that. So how is the wine industry going to address that is a big issue out there. Um, so lots of, lots of things going on news-wise. Anything you want to comment in terms of how we're going to get out there and reach the mysterious millennials? You know, the millennials have to explore. When they first, when when all of a sudden, you know, Wine Bloggers Conference, mm-hmm. when that happened, everybody wanted to be a wine writer, right? And, uh, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. You can't just be fluffy. Um, but the millennials all jumped in long before they had that taste of all these other things that are available to them and all Mm -hmm. these other things i'm sure has had an impact because they explore right right so they're exploring there's nothing we can do about it except keep our nose to the grindstone and i know that there was a report that just came out that you know for the first time in 25 years wine sales are down well, they're down because the millennials are exploring right. other things. And I think we have to let them explore. And I think we have to stop over-delivering to... Right. To exactly. Just, you know? Um, so, you know, it's tricky because we've got a, um, someone that we know that didn't even pick her grapes last year because no one bought her grapes. Right. So they hung on the vine. And she said, I can't do that for two years because <sighs> after two years, it doesn't happen anymore right. in the vineyard. Right. If stuff just stays in the vines. Doesn't it seem like more and more that is, I don't want to say that that specifically, the people are leaving it on the vine, but because that has happened over the last 10 years, a few times where um, contracts haven't come through or, and and we know there's a weird delay in payment thing going on to growers that more and more growers um, are are getting into the micro winery business. Mm -hmm. They're going, Okay, well, I've got this. I got to do something with it. So I'm going to make my own wine, or I'm going to hire somebody to make my own wine and my own label. And I'm, you know, this way I can control it from grape to bottle the whole nine yards. Well, it's a great idea. It's a great idea, but we know what the but, saying is yeah. about getting into the wine business. Right, that's right. It uh, it takes a large fortune to make a small fortune <laughs> in the wine business. That's what I it hear. It sure does. But, the, but, you know, it's. Um, they're all ready to go do that, but most of them don't have a blink of an idea of what to do with marketing. And now they've got wine, and they've got it in the bottle, and what do they do with it? Right. And the wholesalers um, have 
have crunched themselves down to an oligopoly. Yeah. And they're only putting on the shelf what they know is tried and true and going to yeah. be paid for. And so your inventory, if you got it in, is going to sit in the warehouse. We don't even know if they're going to get it out there for you. We deal with small winemakers right. like this all the time. Yeah. And it's, but at least uh, now they a, can try LibDib and things yeah, like that and these a, different models. It's a real challenge. Jose will help them work through, you know, all I can do is write the stories. Right. But Jose will work through it with them and, all right, now you need to, you did that. Guess what? Now you have a new thing you have to do. You have to learn to market. Yeah. And you got to get out into the market because if you don't get out, it's the same thing as when people send right. me a, a press release about their, their their new wines, but there's no sample to go with it. So what am I going to do with it? Mm. So if you give if you get yourself into a house, then the only way you're going to get it off the shelves is to make a trip to that city, go out with them on what's called the work with, mm -hmm. follow them around all day, make sure that you take care of lunch for them. Oh yeah. Very and, important. Treat yeah, them well. Important. Treat them well. <laughs> and then maybe you'll get something sold, but then you have the cost of that trip too. So oh, it's, sure. a, it's a catch-22. When tough. they go out on their own, um, it's, it's difficult. Some make it, some don't. Yeah. So a lot of work. Uh, some other interesting tidbits in uh, wine industry news uh, this week. Um, locally, a little fantastic piece is... Uh, there's now a partnership between Sonoma State University and Santa Rosa Junior College to bring along a whole new um, Bachelor of Wine degree, a full four-year degree uh, that's kind of being split between SRJC doing the first two years in production and then the last two years at SSU. So I think that's great. I know, Joe, that you actually participated in, a, in an early part of the marketing portion of this at SS, right. Right. Uh, SSU or SRJC? No, it was SRJC. Okay. Uh, they had a wine sales and marketing degree program. Mm -hmm. And when I got to California, as I said, I didn't know anything about wine. I really didn't. I just knew it was red or white. I even had to ask, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why is it pink? You know, why? Sure. Yeah. So, so I thought, well, if I'm going to progress in this business, mm -hmm. I'm going to start taking courses. So I was taking all kinds of courses um, at the JC to get that degree that was wine sales and marketing, which I have all the units, but as I had told you earlier off microphone, that I never petitioned for the degree because it really wasn't about the degree for me. It was for the education. Which hopefully it is for everybody, mm. but I know people actually need those degrees yeah. for certain things to progress in their careers, depending exactly. on what they're doing. So. Yeah, I would Pretty say cool. for younger people, I had already had a, um, I got turned away from some of the best wineries when I came out and started looking for a job mm -hmm. because you know I had worked in radio and and as Jose had said I mean we were working with Tina Turner and Huey Lewis and Duran Duran <laughs> all these people backstage it was really exciting so when I came out I was self-confident about PR and so it would get me into industries and then we'd try to see if I would fit mm -hmm. and it's like well it, <laughs> You probably not. You probably need to go take a couple of courses first, you know, and so I did it, and uh, and so I would suggest to anybody just starting out if they're young, get your education, yeah, in it because it's very very complicated, and you will get to the point that I am in life, and you will far surpass anything I was able to do, because you'll have the first twenty years in wine. So you know, as I said, for me, jack of all trades, master of none. First, I'm taking <laughs> pictures of. Ann Wilson of Hart, and, and then I'm taking pictures of Lou Fulpiano, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's when I realized these guys are all stars. 
we're yeah. all we're all quirky yeah. so it wasn't like they weren't quirky because they, they were but i needed to know about their wine and how i could position it how i could talk about it you know tied into what you were talking about with the the, the first of all the, what the two schools are doing is mm-hmm. awesome uh, mm-hmm. because i i think the more formalized and codified the training is for the wine business and for, for production you know the better um but one of the things that everybody kind of knows is that the the wine business is at its core an agricultural situation mm-hmm. it's a production-based business right and, and for years it was like i'm gonna make the best damn wine and i know they will find it you know right uh and good also, luck with that uh, r- right exactly <laughs> and, and the and the other concept uh, you know was um you know i know what i like i'm gonna put it out there and if and it's up to them to like it right so, so good so, luck with that <laughs> exactly exactly you get a so, theme here so it, it's kind of like the you know you're talking about the production side and then the marketing and sales side so on the production side you know you don't want to go into a production situation without some advanced sense of what is your market who are you going to try and sell what are their their, their tastes etc and then on the on the business side um and this has been said before, I'm not saying mm-hmm. anything that people haven't said, you know, I think the wine business more than ever to survive and to perhaps, you know, flourish in, in, in a way against all these other competition is to constantly be looking at other industries. Uh, because when you stack up the wine business against other industries, we're, we're a little slow. And, and, we're also we're also know. in an annual cycle kind of basis. So some things we can accelerate, Mother Nature isn't one of them. Right. <laughs> Right. And that reminds me of a term that I heard years ago, and it's still true. You want to see an optimist, a a grape grower, a farmer, (laughs) because, you know, you have to wait all year and hope that everything comes together at the end, you know, the end of the cycle for you. And if it doesn't work, you know, you're up the creek. Um, But but in general, I, I would say more and more and this is something that people criticize the amount of people from outside the industry coming into the industry and there's a level of that that can be negative but honestly i enjoy seeing some of the people that have not been in the wine business come in with some of their concepts to kind of push the wine business along into a more competitive environment because as i said you know the core of this business for years was growers really and and you know people that just kind of made wine in the hopes that it would sell and and do their best in in the the product when actually more than ever you have to start with the market that you're going for and work backwards and then produce the wine accordingly and somewhere in there is a balance of integrity i mean you don't want to make fake wine because of the, the you know the the statistics um so so there is a balancing act i mean People can perceive quality ultimately as, as, as time goes on, and if, if you want to be in a luxury market, make sure that you have that quality. But then also understand, you know, what market you're going to go out there for. The other thing that's happening too is the direct-to-consumer is growing as as we see these challenges coming to the yeah. business. And so I think the more that wineries can work on that, even large wineries, you know, in terms of reaching out and putting a face to it, because I think integrity is what people are looking for nowadays. It's not just the stories, because you know. Yeah. That's been done for a long time. Yeah. It's it's more like, I, can I trust you? Will you always deliver on this one experience that I just had today? Will you come back and repeat that over and over and over? Um, and some of these things are difficult because they do take time. They don't mm-hmm. happen overnight. Um, but if, 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 if someone's consistent and they provide the quality and they never burn you, 
in terms of a product and you know they 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 kind of know what you're looking for and, and you know and you also have to shift along the way i mean you know like when people realize well you know maybe Syrah's not going to be the next big thing so let's put it over here for a little while and then come over to you know grapes that really are going to be uh, appealing um to people and, so. So, and sometimes that's a gamble you know, it, uh, it is, you know, we saw the sideways effect, um, mm -hmm. definitely sent Merlot in a tailspin, uh, Pinot Noir got a big boost and it's still, you know, uh, gaining, uh, from that, uh, promotion that it got in sideways, uh, what about 20 years ago now. Um, so it's hard to say, you know, ripping out a vineyard and replanting, regrafting, um, with a different variety that you think is going to sell better. It's a big gamble because it's a mini multi-year process to get there. Uh, the financial investment, um, the bet on the market and all that. So it's, you know, it's unique to this industry. Mm -hmm. um, all this quirk. Um, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure our listeners know where they can reach you to. They can go to diazcommunications.com is one easy way. You can read uh, Joe's blog anytime at wine-blog.org at any time. You guys are both on social media, right? Yes. Yes. So very easy to find. Um, I think you can, at Instagram, you're at Joe Diaz Wine mm -hmm. on Instagram. And Jose, how about you? Jose Diaz Photos. There you go. And they're, they're all beautiful. You both, you both take beautiful photos. Thanks. So uh, great ways to find what they've got going on. Um, we'll be talking a little bit in the second show about some of their other related endeavors, as in we, we hinted at P.S. I love you, Petit Serra, mm -hmm. I love you. So we'll be talking about that in a bit. Uh, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Um, not really. I think we... Cheers. <laughs> yeah, yes. I would say enjoy some wine. <laughs> enjoy some wine. Misty, yeah, thank wine. you for being here today. Yeah, it was great. Great questions. Good stuff. And I particularly would like to thank the panel for hosting us here in the loft, which is their private tasting room in the back. You can learn more about them at panelwines.com. They're open uh, Wednesday through Friday, 2 to 9 o'clock Saturday, noon to 9 p.m. They're right here at 535 West Napa Street, and their phone is 707-938-7152. And I also want to give a nod to St. Supery as our other sponsor uh, for helping us out, So, which Misty helped instigate, which was great. Thank you very much for that. Really yes. appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another show. <laughs>